Angeline. How are you doing today? I am doing great, Claudia. How are you? I am well. And I just want to say for the people who cannot see you right now, they are missing out because you are a ray of spring, I guess now summer and sunshine. You look absolutely amazing. Oh, thank you. And you look amazing too. The sun is shining. Yes. Well, not here, but that's okay because yeah, it, okay. in my heart, it is shining and really isn't that all that matters. That's I, absolutely, absolutely. I think so. Well, Angeline, I'm excited to have you here today. What I would love if you would tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Yes. Well, hello, everyone. And thank you so much, Claudia, for having me as a guest on your Strong Enough podcast. So my name is Angeline Constantino, and I live in Saratoga Springs, New York, and I am the founder, CEO. I'm, also, I'm a podcaster and empowerment life coach for my program, which is Let's Break the Silence with Angeline. So I help women who have suffered from domestic violence, I help them amplify their voice, regain their power, and help them step into their true purpose and calling. Because for all those years, they've been beaten down to the ground by their abuser. And once upon a time, I was married to I thought who was going to be the love of my life. High-powered businessman. I was in my 20s. He was like in his early 40s, so there was an age gap. And he owned a 38-foot Carver Mariner. So everyone thought that we were living the life, like the Hollywood couple. So to make a long story short, we met through an organization through the church. So, you know, we got to know each other. And he just, you know, exhibited, he portrayed himself as that high-powered businessman and, you know, very loving and very... You know, like he would take care of, of everything and everything like that. But, you know, he didn't show his true colors in the beginning. So I fell, you know, like we fell in love and then we got married at the Justice of Peace in Rhinebeck, New York in 1988. And we had bought a house. So and we also had a place in New York City. So I worked in his business. He asked me to, you know, work at his business. So I was a sales executive and I was also like the sales manager for his company. So I brought in sales. I worked in New York City and the five boroughs selling advertising and direct mail to businesses. So, you know, I worked in New York City, traveled all over the five boroughs, and I brought in money for the company. And he was handling like the production. And at that time, we had interns from Fordham University. So, you know, I was making sure that they were doing their job and, you know, cold calling because back in the day, it was knocking on doors. Literally. And I did that too. <laughs> no more of that though. <laughs> you know, we were making six-figure income, lucrative income. And then, you know, once we bought the house and, you know, we started to open up our, we expanded our market up in the Hudson Valley of New York State. So people could Google that and look that up. So to make a long story short, you know, things were fine, but then things were not okay. He exhibited jealousy, resentment, like when I would go out on the road or I would be talking to people, he started to become angry and he started to put me down. And I was handling the books. I was handling all the money. And, you know, he felt that I was not doing anything right. And in the beginning, it was the opposite because we would go out to restaurants, fine dining in New York City. We would go to the Metropolitan Opera. We would go to the museums and everything. And, you know, so like I said, people thought that we were the Hollywood couple, that, you know, these two are inseparable and they're going to build their dream and 
it didn't happen. It didn't work out that way. So verbal abuse began. And I didn't realize it was really happening at the time because, you know, as women, I guess I would say like for me, I thought that he was going to change and I thought that things would get better. And I would be crying at night. I mean, I would be literally crying at night. And when he semi-retired, that gave me an opportunity to go out to work in corporate America and to make a name for myself because I felt during that time, and this was in 2000, during the 2000 era, yeah, that I was out there, I was working, I was bringing in the money. So I was the breadwinner in the family. And he, all he wanted to do was just sit and take the boat out. And that was not my vision. So we started to go like this. Instead of traveling together, we went this way. We went our separate ways. So that I share this story because I was talking about red flags in this week's podcast episode, warning signs of abuse. So one of them is jealousy. Jealousy, you know, you, you only have to, in other words, like with jealousy, they don't want you to have friends. They only want you to have mutual friends. So it's their way or no other way. But what happened was I was physically abused too. So in December of 1999, so I was lying down in bed with my robe on. I was just feeling really bad because he was just yelling at me, yelling and putting me down. And this happened very late. It was around 10.30 p.m., between 10 and 10.30. So I decided to get up. I said, you know, and I said, you know what? I'm just going to get up, go into the other room, let him cool down. I didn't feed into him. I said, I'm just going to get up and go into the other room and then we'll see what happens in the morning. Well, I didn't make it into the other room. He grabbed me by the neck. From I heard him come from behind. So he grabbed me by the neck and he threw me against the wall right next to the bathroom. And I fell backwards. And I heard cracking right here. So I was bleeding. I fell backwards. I fell on my back. And there was no other way to go. So I was crying then, forget about it. I looked up in the ceiling, I was bleeding, and I was praying to God that God would save me that night because I thought I was going to die that night from bleeding. So ironically, which is not unusual, he took me to the emergency room. And I was there all night, hooked up on IV. And they bandaged me up and, you know, made me look presentable. But I was in really bad shape because I had black and blue all over my face. And my face was basically smashed. Like, my nose was gone. I mean, not almost gone, but, you know, it was just really bad. And so the surgeon came in and he said, Angeline, you're going to need reconstructive nose surgery. <sighs> so I went back to the hospital. So they released me. And then I went back to the hospital that night. And I had reconstructive nose surgery and I had to stay overnight because they gave me an overdose of Demerol. There was, you know, pain. I mean, when I woke up, I was in pain, but it was just really bad. So I ended up staying overnight in the hospital. And then I went home and then the recovery began. But I didn't report it at the time to the police because I felt ashamed. And this happens a lot in domestic violence. The women are ashamed, and especially if they have children, it's even, I mean, I have a friend right now who's going through domestic violence, and she is afraid. I mean, she is actually afraid to tell, you know, her husband because of her son, but her son is going to see the light eventually. So I understand what, you know, single, what the mothers go through, but there are ways that you can come out of domestic violence. And then later on, financial abuse happens. So all that hard work and all that six-figure income that we made, he took it away from me. He wrote balance transfer checks against mutual funds. 
against my credit to buy mutual funds. So it was about $100,000. So I found myself in the hole. And I remember right before I filed for my divorce, I was laid off from my full-time job because I just couldn't handle stress anymore. So in 2010, I remember what happened to the money. He drained the bank account. And I was like, are you kidding me? So there was no money, nothing. All I had was a couple of credit cards, which were maxed out. So now I, I was deep in the hole, but I found the strength. I woke up one morning in May of 2010, and I had moved upstairs because we met at a coffee shop right before I decided to file for my divorce. So one of my suggestions is, is for women and men, too, who are in an abusive relationship, if you just reach your bait, you know how it is when you reach your breaking point? Mm-hmm. I just surrendered my pride and ego. I drew a line in the sand. I took ownership. We met at a coffee shop. And I said, because the police told me to meet in a public place. Mm-hmm. So I remember right before I went to the coffee shop, I went to go see the deputy sheriff at the cigar store <laughs> in the corner in Rhinebeck. So he said, you're going to be fine. Just, you know, they were there just like, you know, hanging out, mm-hmm. hanging out in the town. So I walked in and I told him, I said, I'm filing for divorce. So he didn't believe me at first. But then once we went to court, because I went for a protective order for a limited protective order. And then I stayed at my first cousin's house in Long Island, I stayed for a week and a half so I could, you know, get away because they were getting ready to serve the papers. Mm-hmm. So when I came back, he was in shock. He didn't think that I would do it. And this is something that people are afraid to talk about. People don't want to talk about, you know, what happens and or they don't want to bring awareness to domestic violence. So, I mean, I told my parents and he humiliated me behind my back. He told my parents how bad I was. He wrote letters to the Dutchess County Sheriff's Office. He wrote letters to the New York State Police admonishing me and just basically, you know, trying to just really put me down, you know, just ruin my name. But they didn't believe him. So they believed me. And when I got the protective order, I was told, do not rescind the protective order. Because once you rescind the protective order, they're not going to help you. The authorities are not going to help you. They're not going to have you back. So fortunately, I was able to gain credibility with the New York State Police. I knew the sergeant very well because we were talking back and forth and his colleagues. So they knew exactly my situation. So basically for that year, from May of 2010 to May of 2011, I was living like a gypsy for one year. I was staying in people's houses and motel rooms. It was just, you know, but but I did it. It, To me, that was better than staying in the house upstairs. And I did have to stay a few times, but most of the time, you know, I had some really good friends who offered me their home and I would stay for three days and I'd go someplace else and stay for two days. But this was my life. And I remember when I was gathering all the financial statements, which I did behind closed doors. So when he wasn't around in the house, I gathered everything together. Thank goodness for the divorce proceedings. And I remember walking into a coffee shop in Rhinebeck and people were so nice to me, like everyone was nice. So I sat down. I had a stack of papers, like they were that thick. Mm -hmm. So the waitress came up to me. She goes, what do you have there? I said, well, I'm working on filing divorce. They didn't know who my ex was because he wouldn't frequent like I did downtown because they knew me from, you know, being out in sales. So Mm -hmm. they said, really? I said, yeah, I'm filing for divorce. So I'm working on, you know, the financial statements. So 
you know, she want they wanted to know assets, liabilities, and everything. So make sure that you have everything in order. Make sure that you have. And I just took the files. He didn't even know. I just took the files and took off. I just took off, and I worked on it all day. You have talked about some great advice already, and I want to key in on one piece of those as far as gathering documents, because a Mm -hmm. lot of the things that we do see are abusers who will hide or lock away birth certificates, passports, kids' documents, financial documents. Do you have any advice for a victim to gather documents if they're in a situation that, you know, is very precarious and maybe there would be a potential for more violence if the abuser finds out that they are collecting these things? That's a good question. I would, well, for me, because I've worked in the business, I had the financial statements right on, not on my desk, but in a folder. Mm -hmm. So I had a key and I locked it so he wouldn't get access to it. So when he would go out, like one, I remember when I was gathering all the financial statements, he went out on the road, he went out. So he didn't think I was going to do anything. Right. So that was my opportunity to get the doc, but make sure you have a file of bank statements, you know, and I had bank statements, credit cards. We had a car payment at the time because we had bought a Ford Focus and it was in my name. So that was in my name. So make sure you have everything in order in a separate file. And another advice that I would give is to keep separate bank accounts. Don't do what I did now because, and I know that sounds kind of, you know, but we have to protect ourselves in today's world. I mean, one out of two marriages end in divorce and domestic violence has gone up and it rose during COVID. Exponentially. Exponentially. And that's, around the time four years ago when I started my podcast because I had a vision and I had a dream that I wanted to share my story with the world because I knew that my story would impact a lot of women. And I was afraid to share my story. To be quite honest with you, I was afraid to share my story. So I hired a mentor and, you know, we still keep in touch today, but he told me, he said, Angeline, have you gone live yet on Facebook to share? There was no TikTok at the time. So he He goes, have you gone live on Facebook to share your story? And I said, no. I said, because I used to be the big, I would like do a lot of writing. Mm -hmm. Like at the beginning, I would blog and everything. But I didn't go out there and share my story. Well, I said, is it about time that you share your story? Because you went through a lot. I said, I know. He goes, okay. So we sat down and strategized. So I took the phone. I was not in this, I was in a one bedroom apartment in the same building. In 2018, He said, all you have to do is just hold the phone up, hit play on Facebook and share your story. And I remember, and it's on my YouTube channel. And I remember I was shaking because this was now my time to share my story. And I was very vulnerable. I mean, when I look at the video, I'm like, why didn't you look at the camera? But I did look at the, (laughs) like, but guess what happened? That video, when I shared my entire story, I poured my heart out and shared my story like I'm doing now. It went viral, 7 million views. Wow. I didn't expect that. And that's when a breakthrough happened for me. That was when I said, you know what? It's time to start your podcast. Because I had studied podcasting through, you know, like I would watch YouTube. Like this is right before COVID. I would watch Gary Vee. I would watch, you know, all the top people. They had a podcast. I said, you know what? I can start a podcast and let's see where this goes, right? And I brought on special. First, I shared my story. 
and then from my victim to Victoria's story, victory from domestic violence. And then I brought on special guests, women, because they wanted to share their stories. They felt so empowered to share their story. And now they're coaches, they're entrepreneurs, they're best-selling authors now. So you can rise from the ashes. And literally, that's what happened to me. I rose from the ashes. I rose from the ashes and I stayed close to God and stayed close to my beliefs because the more faith that I had in God, that's when everything started to happen. So once I shared my story, then I was going live almost every day. And that was like, he was like, wow. <laughs> now I want to go live every day. All the time, all the time. Yeah, now I just want to go live, <laughs> you know? One of the things that I love about you, well, there's there's several, but the first is that, you know, we talk a lot about what to call people who have been through domestic violence. And, you know, there's a big fight, I think, sometimes, you know, are they victims? Are they survivors? When do they make that transition? I love that you say that you went from victim to victor or to victory. So what made you feel that way and want to kind of create a new term to describe your path in getting out of an abusive situation? Well, I stopped playing the victim. That's the key because I see a lot of, and I joined support groups. So at that time, early on when I was on Facebook, I joined support groups and I also had a therapist who worked with me. Then I started to go out because she said to me one time, go out by yourself and see what happens. Like, okay. So I went out. Like I would go to the Beekman Arms in Rhinebeck and I would have dinner by myself. And, you know, then another friend called me. She said, how do you do? And I said, wow, I feel great. <laughs> Being waited on. And she said, you know, and I will never forget what she said. She said, dining alone can be very tranquil, can feel very, and it did. I didn't feel alone. Wow. Yeah, I felt empowered. I'm like, wow, this is what single life is going to be like now for me. I'm feeling stronger now. And this was a process. So I invested in myself and personal development. And I had that time back in 2010, I had joined a health and wellness company that was a huge part of my life. It was fitness and nutrition. It was Beachbody at the time. That was going to be my guess. Now they're just a body, I think. Beach body. <laughs> and I was a member since 2004. So a very good friend of mine who lives in California, she reached out to me. She said, "How? Why don't, you know, she said, why don't you consider coaching? And here she's, she's reaching out to me. And I said, yeah, I said, I'm, I'm interested. I'm interested. So I joined the company and I work behind the scenes because my lawyer specifically told me do not promote it online because he's going to find out. So right. that's what I did. Right. Because I was collecting alimony. So I work behind closed doors, you know, like I work behind the scenes a lot. So a lot of people didn't know, really know what I was doing until the end, mm -hmm. until the divorce happened. And the same day I signed my divorce papers, which was June 11th of 2011, is the same day that I rank advanced in the company. Now, imagine that. Because I had moved to Saratoga Springs April 30th. It was actually May 11th. I'm sorry. So May 11th, when we signed the divorce papers, the divorce became final. I was so elated. I was celebrating that night. So I remember when I rank advanced that night because a friend of mine who was following my journey online, she signed up with me 
I think a week later after I moved in. So, and I wasn't living here. This building didn't exist. I was living in a small one bedroom apartment on the other side of town. Just, you know, just, you know, old furniture I had. So there was nothing extravagant, but I was working. Like I literally was working so I could rank advanced and I was elated. They invited me on another call that night. So everything changed in one day. Like in one day, things can all of a sudden evolve. All of a sudden, it can just turn around in one day. The day that you became a victor, was it that day or was it the day that you left? Or was it another day? That's a good question. Actually, I would say during my transition, I felt victory. I felt victorious because I knew that I had a plan and a purpose. God made a plan for me. I had three goals in mind. The first first one was to obviously the divorce, which took one year. The second thing was to make a plan and move away from him. So that was my second goal. And my third goal was because I wasn't working full time. I was burnt out from the divorce, mm-hmm. but I still had a vision to build my coaching business. So that was a process that I really had to work on removing my self-limiting beliefs because a lot of these women, they've been pounded down to the ground emotionally. Emotional abuse is worse than physical. I mean, the physical abuse happened once, but the emotional, forget it. Because low self, because I basically, I lost my sense of self-worth before I filed for divorce. But once I wrote that check out for $5,000 to the attorney, I felt victory. And then I drove up here to Saratoga for the weekend. (laughs) And I just felt victory. There was no fear. I said, this girl is going to crush her goals. She's going to make a plan. And I was being very careful. I didn't move out of the house because in New York State, they consider that abandonment. Mm -hmm. And we were married for 23 years. So, I mean, I was married for 23 years. That was half of my adult life. So imagine that. It was half of my adult life. When I look back on it now, it's like, I did it. I put my mind to it because I wanted change. And, you know, a lot of women who I know, and they're great women, they are afraid to make that change. They still feel victimized. Now, this lady who is in my Facebook, I have a private Facebook group for domestic violence survivors for empowerment and healing. She said healing is a process. She is still healing after 21 years of marriage, and she divorced them last year. But she still feels it, and she feels alone. I, You know what I said? You're not alone. You're not alone. Don't feel alone. This is why I started my community, you know, for women of the best, you know, to have support and empowerment and to help them step boldly into their true purpose and power. So then the podcast took off. I was on other podcasts. Actually, a year ago at around this time, I was a special guest on a podcast from the UK that has a lot of followers and listeners. So my podcast was starting to grow, evolve. I expo- I just was all over, all over the world. I'm My podcast is now in, in seven countries, and we have over 2,000 downloads on Spotify, Apple, and Google, and all the live streams. I was just checking my stats on YouTube, and my following has exploded. It's doubled. And then I have Instagram, so everything is on my website. But I started TikTok three years ago because I knew that that platform was going to help me grow. And it has, but now it's starting to really grow. And, you know, TikTok is another, you know, platform that I use to, you know, 
not just get followers. You know, I want to create leaders. My mission and vision is to create leaders. I want them to live an abundant life, but they have to want it. Right. They have to want it. I cannot do the work for them. It takes a lot of work. You have to break down those walls. You have to stay motivated. You have to have, you know, work on gratitude. I journal every single morning to this day. And I pray, I do a meditation, and then I do a workout. And then I get ready for my day and I work from home. I'm blessed that I can work from home. And um, I was able to build myself up. I was able to build myself up into the person that I was meant to be. But the first thing is to do the inner work. You have to remove those blockages. And it's hard. Yes, it's work, but it's well worth it. You're going to feel so empowered, just so empowered. And there's a lot of women like there are some women in my Facebook group who actually share inspirational posts. I'm like, wow, <laughs> they're not there yet, but they're getting there. They're getting there. So how rewarding is it for you to watch people kind of take the steps in that journey and, and almost reflectively see yourself, you know, from where you were to where you are now, and you are watching these other people along that path and knowing that ideally, you know, they're going to reach their greatness as well. How does that make you feel that you are a part of that? It feels great. It's very empowering to me, but I feel so elated. I mean, there are times when I feel like crying because I know I've been in their shoes before. That is not a fun place to be. And I've been in their shoes and I want them to feel empowered, regain their confidence. So like when these, you know, like some of the women, they share inspirational posts on my, I'm like, wow. And they're like, you know, they want to, you know, do coaching with me. I have resources, you know, some free resources in my Facebook group, but now I'm going to be launching a membership program for domestic violence survivors. And that's going to be launched sometime in July. We don't have the date yet, but it's to be determined. Self-discovery is fun. I can tell you, I've been on a path of self-discovery myself because I was a former corporate, I mean, I worked in corporate America and just four months ago, I left my full-time job. So because this, what I'm doing now I moved into alignment with my true purpose and calling the days of cold calling on the phone. Done. That's over. Done. I don't have to cold call. You got I don't people have cold to call on you. Right. Right. Cold call me now. <laughs> I loved earlier that you talked about dining alone in a restaurant, because let me tell you, I hate that. Um, but I love that you kind of talked about it from a perspective of this was a way for you to kind of empower yourself, gain some strength, and you found it very calming and peaceful. You also talked about your health and fitness coaching. What are some other things that you have done or that you would recommend that other people could do when they're at those early stages of getting out of an abusive relationship and they need those kind of instant confidence boosters and empowerment boosters? Well, I would suggest that I went for therapy for one year. I would suggest that they get a coach, mm -hmm. someone who has gone through that same experience that like I did, because I went through that same experience. So I would get a coach. I would find outlets. What lights you up? What are you most passionate about? Like, I know when I moved up here, I was taking yoga classes. I was going to dance classes up here. I was going out by myself. I was having the time of my life. Now, some women are actually afraid to go out by themselves, but it's not that hard because once you start, you're like, wow. Because there's also 
loving on yourself. I am huge on that. Loving on yourself because, and this is what my mentor taught me. And I've invested in myself and coaching. When you love on you, you'll be able to love on others and you will be able to attract the right people in your life. And if you're not doing that, if you're just looking, because, you know, there are some women out there who are looking for love in the wrong places. I'm the first one to defend women, but they're looking for fulfillment in the wrong places. They need to love on themselves first. Once you're able to do that and break down those barriers and break down those self-limiting beliefs, because a guy will see right through that and they'll, you know, they'll just say goodbye. But if, you know, because, you know, there are some women who complain about men, but there's good men. I have a lot of male friends who support me. I have a lot of male supporters because I'm strong and I stand up for myself and stand in my truth. So, you know, it's important just to, you know, mindset is everything. I I did a lot of heavy mindset work, a lot of heavy mindset work. I took an intensive from my mentor. That's after I took the intensive, then I made a decision to start the podcast because I said, this is going to be one of my marketing vehicles to get my message across to people, you know, to my audience. because you know, people don't want to talk about it. They don't want to talk about it. Do you think it's getting better that we're more willing to talk about it? Absolutely. Absolutely. I see more people coming forward and this includes men too. I see more men and women coming forward to share their stories. In fact, I do have a male guest on my podcast. He, you know, was sexually abused by his father and he asked me to be a guest. He said, I know you only, I said, that's fine. I am not adverse to having a male guest on my podcast. In fact, I welcome it because it offers a different perspective. Mm-hmm. So I definitely would want, you know, have male guests share their stories. And I know a lot, some men are afraid to share their stories because, you know, they've been taught that they have to be tough, you right. know, not emotional. It's okay not to be okay. If you're crying, that's a good thing. That's a good I, thing. We all need a good cry every now and then. Oh, yeah, we do. I've cried. So, you know, I mean, I cry. What I have tears of joy when I see women succeeding. And finally, they were able to break through those barriers that were, you know, because it's hard. It's not easy. It's not easy. You know, that's why I believe in God and the full being, you know, because you can go from being broken broke to living the abundant life. But what you have to do is you have to, you know, work on yourself first. There's no way that you could go out with a guy and still be broken because they will see right through it. Or you'll attract the wrong guy, which is you'll attract the wrong guy. And I see some women who are attracting the wrong guy. And, you know, it's not a good situation because it's a spiral like a and that just makes them feel more broken and i think mm-hmm. a lot of it does go back to something that you pointed out and that is getting rid of those self-limiting beliefs and i feel like that's one of the keys to healing and to getting to a place where you can maybe look at another relationship that would be healthy because right. i think until you do that until you get rid of those limiting beliefs you're going to potentially attract the wrong people. Is that what you've seen in your experience in the people that you mentor, work with, see yes. in the Facebook group? Yes, yes. They have attracted. Like I have a friend who's going through second round. And then they just feel more broken. 
Right. They feel more broken. I mean, like I said, it's a horrible place to be in. I mean, I feel very fortunate and grateful that I'm single for 14 and a half years because I do have high standards and I'm not going to let any man pull me down ever again. And I know what the red flags are immediately. So if I see it, I just, and I'm not dating. I'm not dating anyone. I'm not on any dating sites. I don't wish to be on any dating sites. And, you know, some women just feel so alone. But I remember that this man, you know, he, one of my friends, she lives in New York. I think she lives in Florida now, but she went through a second round, not married though. They were just living together, but it didn't work out. They're looking for love in the wrong places and they're looking for fulfillment. And I explained this to her. I said, you have to love on yourself first. I said, look, and focus on what you are grateful for. You have your grandkids, you know, you have family. So focus on that for now. And things will come together once you're able to break through those self-limiting beliefs. And, you know, I told her I'm willing to coach her, to have a call with her, which she probably will do. You know, then things are going to start to open up because I know my mentor, he said, when you love on yourself and you break through those self-limiting beliefs, that's when abundance starts to flow. That's when abundance starts to open up. And that was something that I learned. That's something that I learned. And, you know, now I'm able to give and it could be monetary. It could be, you know, whatever gift I. So when you give more than you receive, then abundance opens up for you. It's a law of attraction. Absolutely. And I feel grateful that I'm able to work from home and, you know, work and focus on my podcast and focus on empowering women to heal and thrive from domestic violence. Because guess what? They deserve more in life. Rather than live with an abuser who's beating them every single day, what kind of life is that? Not a good one because you and I both lived it and it's not a good one. That's right. That's right. That's right. Well, Angeline, I want to take a turn here because we have talked about some heavy stuff. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about tattoos for a minute before I let you go, because as we chatted earlier, I have a lot of tattoos. We talked about a couple of them. I know that you don't have any tattoos. Now, we did not talk about why, and we don't have to. I'd love to know if you are going to get a tattoo, and let's eliminate all of the traditional barriers. So it doesn't cost anything. It doesn't hurt. And you can snap your fingers and make it disappear. What tattoo would you get and where would you put it? You know what I would get? The phoenix rising from the ashes. And I would probably put it on my arm. Yeah. Either here or I don't know know how big the phoenix rising from the ashes is, but I would probably put it on my arm. I mean, you can make them pretty big. I have it on my thigh. So. Oh, yeah. If I were to do a tattoo, I would do that. Phoenix rising from the ashes. Now, could we talk you into like a temporary tattoo? Is there sure. any room here? Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. So we're going to have to circle back to that. We will Where, circle back. Yes. Where can people find you? So you have talked about your podcast, your Facebook mm-hmm. group, your website. You offer so many amazing supports and programs for women who have experienced or are experiencing domestic violence. So where can people find you? Okay, people can go to my website at letsbreakthesilence.com. You can find me there. All my social media platforms are there. My podcast is there so you can subscribe and um, to my podcast. And if you would like to leave a review, that would be amazing too. My signature program is there too. It's a nine week program where I take 
women from victim to victor. And I give them worksheets. I give them a lot of empowerment and healing and self-discovery tools. And, you know, they feel amazing. I'm going to be launching a new challenge next month. Actually, it's a new four-day workshop that I am going to be launching next month for domestic violence survivors. So my Facebook group, the link is on my website. Perfect. Yes. So it's under the about section. I have four sections, the home, and then I have the about, my podcast, and then my signature program and all my social media platforms. Awesome. So we will make sure everybody has that website. I know that you're going to be hearing from some people. I can just tell that they're going to want to reach out to you and work with you and get through those self-limiting beliefs so that they can start living in abundance as well. Angeline, I'm so grateful that you decided to spend some time with me today and share about yourself and what you have been through. Thank you so much.